Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham, Scott alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. All right, all right. I uh, I, I haven't totally fixed my glasses situation. I know everybody was, uh, you know, keen for an update on that, but uh, I'm still wearing the backup pair. Uh, my eyes are really terrible, so it takes forever to get glasses. All these things you've heard. Lenses in an hour. Oh, glasses quickly. Don't apply right here. So uh, I'm doing okay. I can, seeing close is okay. Seeing really far is not great. Medium depth, pretty good. Okay. So you're you're hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I am. Yeah. But uh, Sean, uh, our team's on a bit of a roll. Our team is on a bit of a roll. We have won seven straight or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, however many games we played, minus one. That's how many we've won in a row. Because yes, uh, yeah, we're, we're playing well, having fun. Indeed, we are. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on on our team a little later in the strategy part uh, of the episode, uh, where we're going to talk about uh, what's going on with. Uh, our team. We've had some interesting strategy moves, some strategy decisions, both uh, as as us as a team, but also uh, in, in another event I was in. So we're going to talk a little strategy later. Uh, but first, let's get to some of the news in the world of curling. First up, Curling Canada announced today, as we record this on Tuesday, that the 2024 Briar still without a title sponsor, will be held in Regina, Saskatchewan, the last time it was in Regina was 2018. Of course, the curling Olympic trials were held in Saskatoon last year. So Curling Canada is returning to the heartland of curling, really anywhere on the prairies uh, there from Manitoba into Alberta. That's kind of, I would, I would call it the heartland. Uh, so they're going back to Regina. They will be playing at the arena where the Regina Pats play of the WHL. I think it's still called the Brandt Center. And Scott, it leads to a question that it's come up sort of other places. But the Briar used to be held in uh, somewhat regularly in NHL arenas. And now this year it's going to be in London. Uh, now we're going to Regina. They're really, it's been a while since it's been in an NHL building. And the Olympic trials this time for the first time was held uh, in not an NHL building. Now, it doesn't matter that the NHL plays there. I, I say that only because of the size of the buildings, the mm -hmm. WHL, OHL, uh, or the QMHJHL. Uh, all those buildings are just smaller than mm -hmm. NHL arenas are. Scott, is Curling Canada potentially done with NHL stadiums? I, th I think so, Sean. I think... I think uh, it's over for NHL stadiums. We saw the last event was the trials in Ottawa here at the end of 2017. And that's uh, the last one we, we saw in, uh, in an NHL arena. And we saw it mostly empty. 
You know, the, the upper bowl was closed all week. The second bowl, you know, was about half full and probably a little more in, in the lower bowl. But it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense outside of those cities like Winnipeg, where the NHL arena is smaller than most other. It's about 15, 16,000 seats. But I, I just don't think that we, we're going to see those kinds of crowds. One reason the, the demographic who go to curling events, frankly, are not getting any younger. Perhaps there's a, a new younger swell that goes to those events, but they also, you know, are, are the ones that have more expenses, uh, families, things aren't getting any cheaper anytime soon, tougher to get out to an event like this. And Honestly, the atmosphere is just better in a smaller venue. You know, uh, we were there in Kingston in 2020. Phenomenal vibe in the building is about a 4,000 seat, 5,000 seat stadium, maybe a bit more. So yeah, I could see a venue size similar to the Saskatel Center in Saskatoon. That's about 13, 13,000, 12, 13. But I see that as the max, and that's going to be reserved for those marquee events like the trials, where you've got both men and women there at the same time. So that's my long answer of yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree that uh, it's just it's going to be hard to fill those buildings. And I, I think where you feel it more isn't really the finals, the playoff weekends, where you feel it mm-hmm. in the the bigger building is during the week, uh, that Tuesday morning draw, if it's a building with 16,000, 18,000 seats and there's 700 people there cause it's a Tuesday morning, that's where you really feel it. So in the smaller building, that's not as acute. And when it's full, uh, and you can really pack it in, if not a sellout, but close to a sellout, it, it does, it adds that atmosphere. And I think it is better to be full in a smaller building than, you know, even three quarters full in, in a bigger building. The finances wouldn't say that, but in terms of the experience. And and that's what the Grand Slams have done. Now, the Grand Slams are use smaller buildings than even what Curling Canada has now started to use mm-hmm. pretty regularly. Uh, but that that's their strategy is let's be full in a small place and have that atmosphere and get that reputation as a really fun place to go watch games. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it, uh, obviously. And uh I think another factor in all this potentially, and this is a trend that started before COVID, but I do wonder if post COVID, the number of people who want to travel to these events has shrunk a little bit and the at-home experience is really good now to, to be able to watch Uh, the, the coverage is so good with high def and 4k, like you can see everything. The players are mic'd up. Uh, You're not sitting. I mean, the, Sitting in an arena to watch live curling, it's not like cold, but it's not warm either. So mm-hmm. if you watch at home, it's it's can be just more comfortable. Like, and, and Scott, we're people who, when we go now, we get pretty good seats uh, from having the the media badges uh, and really good access, and it's a really good experience. Even at that, the discussion has come up about oh, like oh, it's it's in London this year. That's close enough for us to go. Like. Do you do you want to go? And I'm kind of like, May, mm-hmm. maybe. I I agree that the 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 event itself is more about the community around it for a lot of people, right? The community getting together to see your friends that all go to curling events. 
uh, gathering in the patch and having a good time uh, with, you know, the added bonus of getting to watch some curling. But I, you, you make a good point about the TV product that it's so good. A lot of people are listening to the TV broadcast in the arena. Yeah. That's how sort of indispensable that broadcast has become. So, yeah, I, I don't think I could fault anybody for saying, you know what? No, I'm I'm not going to go for the whole week. I'm going to watch watch on TV, maybe go for the first weekend or the last weekend. Right. right. Uh, but. But yeah, I think this move towards a more sensibly sized arena is the right move and uh, will in the long run help Curling Canada. Yeah, and it's a, a weird catch-22 f- for us too to be like, hey, like the at-home experience is really great. But if you think of some of the big moments in the sport recently, like the Brad Gushu draw to win the Briar in St. Mm-hmm. John's, I think is the number one example of this. If that had been done in the bubble in an empty building, that would have sucked, you know, or Pat Simmons, his draw to the button and he whips his broom uh, to the rafters. Like those are moments that in part are made by the crowd and the cooey draw in 2017 to win the trials. We were in the building for that. And for as much as the, the trials here weren't great from a fan perspective for so many reasons that moments there were enough people in the building that it was loud and that translates Mm. when you watch it back on tv uh, the energy in the building so we want people to go even if we don't necessarily want to go all the time yeah and i think uh you know rather than you know wanting to go to every event uh, people pick and choose their events right maybe it's the briar maybe it's the scotties maybe it's whatever one's closer to me this year uh, is the event i go to uh and that's fine and you know just having the the right kind of crowd there that the people that are excited to be there that love curling that love the atmosphere around the game that's what gives it that special feeling right if it was just packed because we had to paper the house to fill the seats with people that don't know about curling right you obviously want new people to come and watch i'm not trying to say don't but that would sort of change the atmosphere in the building right mm-hmm. yeah for a long time i associated kathy goche's analysis of curling with school children screaming in the background back when Curling Canada would paper the morning draws with with kids yeah. on field trips, right? Uh, I, they haven't seem to have not done that even pre pandemic. We'll see if it comes back a little bit uh, this year. But uh, yeah, you can feel a difference between people there who are just there, and in those case, kids on a field trip versus yeah, the, the knowledgeable fans. Uh, and it, it does have a, have a bit of a different vibe to it. I mean, it's cool when the kids are there, uh, especially if the home province is playing yeah. and they just start screaming for the home province no matter what. Like that's cool and. Uh, it is just a different, very different energy for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's move across the pond to Dumfries, Scotland, where the mixed doubles world qualifying event is taking place. As we record this, the playoffs are still ongoing. They have not fully resolved themselves yet, but did want to just say congratulations to Austria and Spain for qualifying for the world championship. Uh, we'll have more teams Uh, Two more teams have spots available, and those will be decided tomorrow as we record this. Did want to point out, though, Scott, that Austria clinched their spot by beating China 13 to 10 in an extra end. 
uh, in a game that'll take a couple days to sober up. Yeah, they. Uh, I think there was a. They had a five and a four, <laughs> and a three in that game. Steal a uh, three. There, there was uh, ends back and forth, uh, pretty crazy. But uh, no, congratulations to Team Austria. I've mentioned it a couple times on the show. Hannah Augustin is the the last rock thrower on the team. So uh, I played with her in Montreal and happy to uh, have that team into the world championships. Yeah, definitely. And uh, congratulations to them. We'll see who else comes out tomorrow. Followed along a little with uh, Jason, his tweets from the event, uh, Hong Kong just missed the playoffs. One spot out of the playoffs. So uh, it seems like they had a good week, though. Uh, just uh, missing that final playoff spot in their group. So it uh, looks like it's been a fun event over there in Dumfries. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, good luck to those competing tomorrow. Uh, another event that is about to kick off, a WCF event kicking off on Thursday. That is the World Junior B Curling Championships. These are taking place in Loha, Finland. Scott, are you familiar with Loha? I've heard of Loha, and uh, we've we've spoken to Jonathan from Rocks Across the Pond about his experiences in Loha. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's like a sports sports training area uh, outside of Helsinki. A lot of teams are heading to Loha uh, to try to get into the World A's this year. We'll start on the men's side. It is Austria, China, the Czech Republic, Denmark, England, Hong Kong, Hungary, Italy, Japan, Kazakhstan, Kenya, Latvia, Mongolia, Netherlands, New Zealand, Nigeria, Poland, Slovenia, Spain, Sweden, Turkey, and Ukraine. On the women's side, Austria, Brazil, Canada, China, the Czech Republic, Denmark, England, Finland, Hungary, Italy, Kazakhstan, Kenya, Korea, Mongolia, Netherlands, New Zealand, Nigeria, Poland, Qatar, Scotland, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Turkey, and Ukraine all will be competing to move up. One team that might surprise you that I said uh, is Canada on the women's side participating in the Bs for, I believe, the first time uh, last year at the World Championship, the World Junior Curling Championship, the women. Uh, did not do particularly well, so they fell down into the B for this year. So we'll have to see uh, if they can work their way back up into the A event. But Scott, uh, this is the first Junior Bs since uh, 2019. So this is uh, exciting for these players that this event is coming back, uh, that for these nations that are not traditional currently nations, right, Mongolia sending a team both men's and women's uh this is great that these are returning it's unfortunate for the people who have aged out of juniors who would have been participating in this event some of the guys like jonathan works with for instance Uh, but this is one of those events that it's not going to make money uh, it's not going to get a lot of attention but for the people who play in it uh, and the future growth of the sport at the men's women's mixed doubles or even the the mixed level uh this is an event that helps foster that talent Mm -hmm. keeps people engaged with the sport and when we talk about the countries who are competing in like euros b's euro c's uh in the pan continental now b's a lot of the future growth and strength of those programs is going to be on display this week yeah at the junior b's that's right you'll get to see the grassroots, like you said, of, of curling in these countries 
coming up and trying to uh, make make the breakthrough to the uh, elite stage. So uh, interesting to watch. Uh, the the venue in Loja is good. It's sort of like like a, a big campus of curling. So with all those teams you mentioned, Sean, I was running out of breath just listening to you. Uh, give them all. It should be a lot of fun uh, to follow this along. And like you say, with Canada being there for the first time, we'll see if there's any more coverage of that in our Canadian curling circles uh, because it's it's a first time and it would be pretty strange to not see Canada you know, at the A's for the world junior. Yeah. And that's something that potentially Canadian curling fans might have to get not used to, but it won't be unprecedented. Like at some point, Canada is going to miss something, Mm. uh, a world championship an Olympics, potentially like at some point that's going to happen. Uh, Obviously for the the women's team this week, you hope that's not the case that they can come through and qualify, but at some point it's going to happen. Uh, I will be uh, on vacation uh, after that happens. Uh, I will not be looking at any social media or anything like that. Uh, I don't want to be around for it, but it's going to happen one day. And uh, it's just a matter of when, not if. Not if, yeah. All right. uh, Another event that is kicking off or has kicked off as we record this is the Masters, the final Grand Slam of 2022. Uh, this event is coming off the DeKalb Super Spiel. That was the big event last weekend. On the men's side, Matt Dunstone beat Reed Carruthers in the final. Picked up a cool $11,000 for that. Uh, they're the only two teams who were in that event uh, in the playoffs who, who finished in the quarterfinals or above uh, who are here this week. On the women's side of the DeKalb Super Spiel, it was Abby Ackland beating Nancy Martin. Uh, she picks up a cool $7,500. So somebody called DeKalb and see why that's the case. In terms of who's there uh, this week, uh, Jennifer Jones, she finished, uh, lost a quarter, or a semifinal game, excuse me. Uh, so she had a, a pretty good week there and is now competing in the Masters. Uh, usual suspects uh, for this event on both the men's and the women's side, a few changes here and there. Uh, but for the most part, if you think they're going to be there, they're probably there. So Scott, let's talk about turning the page to 2023. And we've had the European championship. We've had the pan-continental championship. We have a bunch of national championships coming up in the early part of the new year, uh, including of course the Canadian national championships and then leading into world championship season. So of the 32 teams here at the Masters, 16 men, 16 women, what do you think would make for the most interesting scenario moving into 2023 for a winner here? Like somebody who could win and really open some eyes, uh, turn some heads, maybe turn a season around or emerge as a, as a top threat in a world's or a national championship scenario. Like who, who stands out to you as somebody who can make an impact here this week? I'll, I'll give you two answers on the women's side because this is what I've been thinking about more is the Swiss contingent that's there uh, is there's Team Tiranzoni, mm-hmm. Team Yagi, and Raffaella Kaiser, who is also Swiss, right? Mm-hmm. The battle 
of these three teams, right? It, it's gonna it's gonna be fun to see Swiss nationals these three playing three teams that are not from Canada uh, in a, a field at, at a Grand Slam event is is pretty. I won't say unprecedented because we've seen three Korean teams there, two or three Japanese teams there before, but it's not common. Uh, and so what I think would be really fun is to see one of these teams that's not named Tiranzoni from Switzerland come through and win this kind of event and sort of put themselves on the map for this quad. When we think Swiss curling on the women's side, we're thinking that team Tiranzoni even though it's half a new team this year, that's what we're thinking. If we can, you know, have somebody else rise into our consciousness and sort of see that next, the 2026 goal, maybe come into focus for one of these other teams. So I'm interested in that. Uh, I'm also interested in hopefully getting to see Caitlin Laws against Rachel Holman. I think these are the two teams that have been put together for this quad that sort of stack up the best against each other, have the best chance to be playing in the finals against each other as of right now uh, in, in that trials final. So if we get to see them play, that'll be a lot of fun and see how, how they take the success they've had earlier in the season and, and keep building on it. Well, uh, I'll say Scott, it'll be slightly less fun because Caitlin Laws is not uh, there. Um, she's on the verge of giving birth. Oh, uh, so she's not participating. That's right. This week, uh, Laura Walker is in the lineup this week. Selena Negevin is skipping. Laura Walker is playing third. Uh, but you're right in that those are the two teams that, even if Caitlin Laws isn't there, just seeing how they stack up one to one a little yeah. bit, uh, or even seeing like if Selena Negevin can come in and have a really good week. Uh, potentially go toe-to-toe with the Jones in a playoff game or a final, that does kind of set the stage for in a very interesting way uh, moving forward uh, with this quad and what these two teams are going to look like moving ahead uh, because we do have Manitoba Provincials to think about uh, with them. Uh, and I, I think Caitlin will yeah. be back for the Manitoba Provincials. It uh, depends, obviously, how she, she feels. But I, I think that was what they were aiming for. On the other side of the coin, the least interesting thing I think would be Anna Hasselberg winning. Even though they didn't play well at Euros, I think that would just be like rerun the headline from the the last last year's slams, and that wouldn't be that exciting. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah, when dominant teams win, it's yeah, it's it's harder to come up with things to talk about uh, for sure. Uh, on yeah. the men's side. I think that uh, if Yannick Schwaller can have a good week coming off uh, uh, what was obviously a very good week at the Euros, that would be pretty interesting. You do have another Swiss teams there, uh, Michelle Bruner, for instance. So, you know, you could set something up on the Swiss nationals on the men's side that could be interesting. Uh, I've talked about it before going into the events that we've had so far this year. I think Flash is an interesting team as prohibitive favorites to come out of Saskatchewan. Uh, just again, a- after that great briar they had last year, how do they stack up? Can they continue to climb that ladder uh, and be regularly competitive with these teams? I'm not even competitive, like beat the teams, I, I should say, because they are competitive with them. Uh, can they beat them yeah. on a more regular basis heading into uh, the briar? Carruthers coming off that second place finish last week. Uh, how are they going to come into form for the Manitoba Provincials? 
I think there's some question marks based on how their season's gone so far. And then if you want to look to, on both the men's and the women's side, I think the American reps, they had very good performances last time out. And uh, if they can continue that momentum as we go into, they'll have to go through a U.S. Nationals uh, before a world championship. But are those two teams who have been the, the leaders on tour, can they keep that momentum and obviously win those nationals and be a threat at a world championship? Maybe more question marks around Corey Dropkin only because he has to go through John Schuster to do it. Uh, maybe not quite as much depth on the women's side of the U.S. nationals, but mm-hmm. some, some interesting questions there as we look ahead to what's going to happen with our American friends. Yeah, and uh, we'll take a look at the storylines, you know, next week, uh, uh, what comes out of it, you know, but those are the things that I'd be more interested in, in happening. And, you know, we'll see if it's a, uh, turns out to be in just another Grand Slam event on the, on the calendar, or if it turns out to be something more interesting. Yeah. And this is the weekend slot that was in the past, the Canada Cup. Uh, so we got a slam here instead, yeah. which I think I like. I, I like push it. Like even if the Canada Cup comes back, like this is an appropriate time, last slam, and then let's shut it down for a bit. Let everybody relax. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Have a break. Yeah. So yeah, take it easy. Uh, so good luck to everybody competing out there in Oakville, Ontario, for the Masters. Now, one more piece of info to get to Scotts. You haven't seen this yet, but I have it right here. Oh, boy. Uh, For everybody who's watching on News Channel 8, I guess. There you go, Scott. Yeah. It's my champion. uh, My champion T-shirt. I played in an event for the or with the Ottawa Sport and Social Club on Saturday, and it was a little one-day bond spiel. I skipped a team of beginners. It's mostly beginners who play in these things, and uh, we were able to win. And I don't say this to be, I don't say that to be braggy uh, because I was the only person who had played for more than three or four years uh, who was there. So it may be a little unfair advantage that I had, uh, but a couple of my friends who are beginners asked if I would come out and, and play with them. And I was happy to do so. I had a wonderful day, but it did lead to, I think, a rather interesting strategy question in the last game, it's the championship game. We're up by one point in the final end, and they have the hammer. And it's my last shot as the skip. So there's two rocks left to come in the end. And the front is fully covered uh, with just a pile of rocks. Like anyone who's ever played in a beginner type game knows that this can happen, right? Yeah. Uh, especially late in the day, yeah. there, there wasn't really any ice maintenance through the day. So everything kind of came uh, came up short that last end. And they had one stone in the basically between seven and eight o'clock position uh, of the house. And that was all that was in play. And that was open for me. So I had the choice of, do I hit that one and essentially give the other skip, let her draw for the single point, and then it would be to draw to the button to see who wins, or do I try to draw behind everything and just win the game right there, basically steal the point? So, Scott, I asked you this on Sunday when we saw each other, but in that scenario where you have an open mm-hmm. hit that the other team would have a, a, a relatively open draw, 
Uh, everything was clustered in the middle. She would have to go around it, but they weren't really in play for a draw. What do you do? Do you do you hit, give them that draw, or do you try to draw yourself knowing that if you miss it, you could potentially lose the game? That's the the key that I would think about, right? Is the losing the game. You can't lose the game if you hit it and roll out. Correct. Uh, so my default call would be would be the hit. That said, you brought up the point, well, if I'm just going to have to throw a draw on my next shot because we're playing a draw to the button tiebreaker, then why don't I just practice it now and make it? Sure. But there, then there's the risk that if you miss it on your practice draw, you give them a chance to win the game and then you don't get your second draw. Right. Yeah. So part of my thinking was, so on my first one, I had thrown a similar draw. I'd taken too much ice and had left it open and they hit it and rolled out. Uh, so that was the scenario leading into it. So I just thrown the draw on the same side. So I, I knew the speed. So I felt comfortable with the speed. I just mm-hmm. knew I had to take a, about a foot less ice. Uh, and I, I thought I could get it buried. And yeah, the question in my head was like, all right, I could throw a draw right now to try to win the game, or I could wait three minutes and try to throw a draw to win the game. Because I, I felt like if I hit that she was definitely making a draw. And I felt right now, if it's sort of a draw off, I have an advantage because I just threw this. Yeah, I I know what the ice needs to be. I have a really good feel for what I think the speed should be. Why would I give her a chance? Like right now, I have an advantage. I feel if we go to the the draw Mm -hmm. to the button, that maybe she has the advantage at that point. And I wanted to keep it for myself. Now, the other argument that you could make is late in the game, late in the day where there hasn't been a lot of ice maintenance where she hasn't thrown a draw mm-hmm. yet. Maybe you just hit and something funky happens and she doesn't hit the paint. Or if I nose hit the one in the back, she doesn't get into the eight foot, which she would have had to do. Yeah. that That's another argument that you could be, yeah, that could so, be made. Yeah. So this is like one of those, uh, dile- classic, you know, after the game at the table behind the glass, everybody's talking about the game and this is one of those those great what ifs right Mm -hmm. where everybody's going to have a different opinion and honestly in this case like nobody's wrong right you're the one throwing you're the one who feels comfortable whatever you feel most comfortable with that's that's sort of the cost benefit analysis you do in your head and if you feel good about a shot then you throw it because you're more likely to make a shot that you feel good about even if it's not necessarily the strategic shot rather than a shot that you know is good strategy but you don't know the ice you don't feel confident so that yeah that's a that's a really interesting situation yeah so i ended up deciding on the draw through the draw uh it was buried back forefoot though i i had the team sweep it Hmm. a little deeper just so that uh it would get buried maybe a bit of a panic call on my side because they sort of got off it at the top four foot and i was just like somebody sweep it and fortunately uh, the other team their third came out with sweeping it's trying to get it go deeper which <laughs> is a reasonable thing for him to do but it worked out uh yeah. and she was close like uh she she just overthrew it her last one or a little bit it didn't curl so we got the steal and uh and the win but yeah it's and i think if you have a full like if you're playing somewhere where you have a full extra then i think you hit Maybe mm-hmm. no matter what, maybe, uh, depending on how yeah. you feel. But in a draw to the button situation, 
then I think it's it's a closer sort of 50-50. What are you feeling? Uh, and what do you think they're going to make? Uh, you know, if you're playing a skip who hasn't exactly, drawn yeah. all day, then if it's the eighth end, they've thrown 15 hits to this point. Maybe you want them to draw there. Yeah, make them make, them make a draw. And, and if they do, great. But, uh, you know, make the other team throw something a little more difficult. Yeah. So, uh, so that was kind of, I thought, an interesting strategy point uh, in a game I was playing in. Scott, uh, you mentioned off the top, our team mm-hmm. on Monday nights, we have been hot uh, and, a, and a bit of a winning streak here. But really weird games the last two weeks. Like, strange. Pretty weird, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what's been going on. Last week, the first four ends were all singles. So it was tied two to two after four ends. Single, 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 single. The final score was 11 to six. There was a three, a four, another three, and then a steal of three. Like the second half of the game just went bonkos. Last night started with uh, a two and a steal of two for the other team. Then we got two, stole two. So it was four to four after the four ends. The final score was six to four, and we played eight ends. So this week we went from... Lots of points kind of all over the place to very tight second half, whereas last week was a very tight first half to just wide open in the second half. Now, you're the one in the house. You're the one skipping Mm -hmm. these games. What do you think accounts for that? Because I've seen this not maybe that big of a swing back-to-back weeks where there's a clear break in the middle of the game and and stylistically or at least in points scored. But sometimes you look at scoreboards, you're like, like a game just shifts like that. What do you think accounts for that happening? Playing at the level at which we play, which is, uh, you know, a a rec league, sometimes teams want to use the corner guard strategy, which I don't because I can recall very few times when I've successfully seen corner guards used, right? So oftentimes you're just wasting a shot and blocking your draw path on one side of the ice so the way that i play i I tend to come behind center guards and try to clear things up if it's not going our way like we'll try to to bail and then open it up and then it's a bit easier to to score at least but by doing that it it lends itself to either a lot of big ends or a lot of singles right Mm -hmm. you're not going to get a lot of blanks playing that way uh sometimes like i will have to make a draw and that's okay i understand that i think last week i made a draw against five right you said yeah there was a a draw against a bunch yeah yeah and that was for one of the singles and in the early so like we had rocks in play and that just sort of that sort of happens when you know you miss a couple shots and because it's rec league people are gonna miss and then you gotta you gotta make something. And then on the other side of the equation, right later in the game, we were playing a similar strategy, and their skip just missed a, a couple, and we popped a three. Now the next end was not necessarily a, a strategic lesson that I'd show anybody, but it also involved like a couple misses, and they scored four right back. And I thought, oh man, like we had this game, this was done, cooked. And I just thought, no, we can't, we can't end that way. So, uh, 
you know, we came back and I just kept putting rocks in play. And if you keep stuff around, especially uh, in rec games, that's sort of how it's going to go. I don't think there was a shift in the strategy away from putting rocks in play to let's play tight and only score singles. I think it was right. just a function of missing and making at the wrong time. And then that can sometimes spiral, right? Like if a, if a skip especially starts missing, then it can get in their head mm-hmm. and keep missing and keep missing. So like for, for us last night, we gave up that steal of two in the second end, but I missed a double for two by... I, I don't know, three millimeters. Like it, it was very close to us getting to and just a little too much curl. So I, I felt good still. Like right. I felt, okay, I, I threw that well. I still have confidence. Hmm. But if you have some, somebody like sometimes you don't have confidence and then it can start to spiral out of control. Yeah. And not to pour salt into that wound there, Scotty, because we did win the game. I believe it was a double for three. Oh, it was for three. There you go. I didn't even know if it was for two or three, but uh, there you have it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, from my perspective, playing on the front end uh, in in these games, it, it, it's, there was nothing like perceptible that was a change. Uh, I, I felt like in any of them, as you say, just sort of things happen and, yeah, uh, you know, complicated ends become easy ends or, or easy ends become complicated ends. Uh, you know, last night there was a skips deuce for them. Uh, that first deuce like very much was a skips deuce and, and that just happens right so yeah. uh but but it has been interesting to to see these games play out uh, i also played in a game last thursday night went the full eight ends and was four to four was the final and nip and tuck the whole way I, I, there were no blank ends like it was just singles back and forth like each team had one steal in there and that's what i love yeah. about this sport i was saying to some people on saturday so, some folks who literally had never played before and weren't they, they roughly knew what the rules were, uh, but didn't really know the rules. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was one of those games where you're kind of teaching slash coaching them, uh, giving them tips as you're playing against them. And afterwards we were talking and they were like, well, why do you like to play? Like you've played for so long. And I said, well, part of it is that very rarely is there an end where it's the same as the end before. Uh, or like there's similar things that happen mm-hmm. in games, sure. And you, you start to recognize potentially angles and all that. You get better at that. But the ends are always different. And as a result, each yeah. game is therefore different. And uh, it doesn't have the same pattern necessarily as, you know, a basketball. Like if you play basketball or or hockey or whatever, where you might have set plays. Like you don't really have set plays in curling. Uh, you just go out and you see where the rocks are and you throw, mm-hmm. right? So uh, you have your strategy, but that is dependent yeah. on so many things so uh, that's what is great about the sport and uh, it's, it's been fun to think about that this week in a couple of very different settings that uh, it's not not obviously we don't play at a competitive level but we play at a level where the competition i think is good like like most people are, are good players uh, in the league we play yeah. on monday but then also going to what was essentially a beginner spiel uh, and, and sort of seeing uh, the reactions that people were having to, you know, making a shot or making a hit, that kind of stuff. Like it was, mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to see, see that. And then the strategy talk at both places too, uh, where the, the people who were new to the sport were like wondering, Oh, why would you do this? Or like, what's the strategy behind this? Like, why wouldn't I just put them all in the house right away? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, 
at that level and probably at our level isn't terrible either. If you just throw eight draws to the button, probably going to score more often than not. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, It's, it's part of what we love about the game, right? Is uh, thinking about how to play and uh, different styles, different ways to, to, to go. One thing I'll say as a skip is that I feel good if the other team is chasing if we're forcing the other team to react to our shots rather than the other way around, I feel, I'll feel good. Yeah. That's when you know you're in control uh, of an end. Uh, and if you can do that mm-hmm. a lot, then you're in control of the game too. Uh, is, yeah. Force the other team to react to what you're doing. So, uh, and Scott, I'm going to jinx it yeah. right now. So Glenn, if you're listening, I'm so sorry, but I've only lost one game at the Ottawa curling club this year. Uh, and that was opening night for us. Wow. It's the only game I've lost. Uh, I've spared a couple times uh, in other leagues and and done well there. Just won that little spiel again, beginner spiel. So, you know, it is what it is. But I've had a pretty good season so far. I feel like I'm judging the Rocks well as as the front-end player doing the sweeping. But uh, it's been a good run. And I said at the start of the season that the first few weeks you're just getting into shape. And then once you get to this time of year, it's starting to be the holidays, so nobody really cares anymore. And then it's January, and you just want to get out of the house, so who cares about the result? And then it's the end of the season. It doesn't matter. So you just want to get through that stretch in November where, like, ooh, the games matter. And uh, I got through that stretch yeah. uh, completely undefeated. So uh, you could say that that's a nice. good thing. You might also say that that's a bad thing because you could argue that it just costs you money to win games. But, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, curling is fun when <clears throat> the games are good and yeah. you're you're winning. So it makes it uh, even more fun than usual. Whether we won or lost last night, that was a good game. It was close. Uh, other team was fun. Like, but that's what you want, you know. Um, win yeah. or lose, good games. Get them all in. Also, eight ends, just under two hours. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's possible. It is. We can do it. And I'm keeping track of ends this year. More often than not, eight ends. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. It can be done. Uh, Just commitment to it. Uh, So uh, hopefully you're having a good season out there. If you are playing uh, and if you're a a summer leaguer, a spring leaguer, uh, some of our friends in the U.S. getting ready for your season, especially those in uh, arena clubs uh, down in the U.S., uh, hopefully that uh, gets you excited to get back out on the ice because it is a a wonderful sport to Mm -hmm. go play. Uh, and with that, oh, yeah. that'll be it for this week. As we thank you for listening, everybody. If you have not yet, please do subscribe. Wherever you get your podcast, do likes, ratings, comments. All that stuff helps other people find the show, keeps us growing. Uh, you can also head on over to GameOfStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes are there under the podcast tab. You can click on Merch for the T-shirts, hoodies, and toques. Proceeds to Food Bank Scan and the Sandra Schmirler Foundation. We, of course, match all those and you can follow along with everything we got going on on the show at game of stones pod on twitter and instagram it's game of stones podcast on facebook game of stones podcast at gmail.com so scott we have uh turned the calendar it's now december and uh still no snow Mm -hmm. on the ground here in ottawa do you foresee as somebody who is a meteorologist and maybe you haven't looked at the models or anything else but uh, what is your prediction? Are we going to have a, a white entry into 2023 here? Or is it going to still be as gray and barren as it appears right now when I look out the window? 
You know, I'm I'm optimistic, Sean. I think uh, we should see temperatures go down a bit. You're right. I haven't looked at models, so I'm I'm sort of talking a bit uh, out of the side of my mouth. But uh, yeah, I th- I think uh, you'd see a little little of that white stuff on the ground for the end of the month. Here's hoping. Uh, the Rideau Canal is still completely open water uh, here. That's a bit of a problem for those of us who enjoy uh, going out skating on that natural ice. So uh, we'll see what the temperature brings here in the nation's capital. Hopefully, wherever you are, the temperature is what you want it to be uh, and that you're having uh, a wonderful start to December. And we will be back with you next week as the month rolls on. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.